0: he's not doing so for the first time in the hearing of his audience. In other words, we might not get the full weight of what Jesus was quoting because we haven't memorized the book of Deuteronomy. And yes, I said memorize the book of Deuteronomy. So uh, if, if you don't know this, uh, Jewish children were taught the scriptures from a very early age. In fact, Genesis through Deuteronomy were really the core instruction that parents were to deliver to their children in their homes. And so many Jews would grow up not just learning the Ten Commandments. You know, so like we teach our children the Ten Commandments, and I'm not going to do this. Some of you could. You know, I don't want you to boast in spiritual arrogance or feel bad that you can't do it. But how many of you could name the Ten Commandments in order? All right, just just think through this. Some of you could, some of you couldn't. That's That's okay. What about the books of the Bible? We grew up singing songs at church. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know, we had one for the New Testament too. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts and the Letter to the Romans, right? And we thought, man, when when we've memorized the names of the books of the Bible in order, we've achieved something great. We'd get like these little uh, uh, wana bucks that we could have purchased stuff at, at the store, or little jewels, something to put on our vest. For Jewish children... It was uh, a little more intense than that. Sure, they had songs that they would sing. In fact, we know from some of the Jewish traditions that have been passed down when parents would teach their children stories, they would sometimes even act these stories out in the home. Uh, One of my favorites is the story of Queen Esther. It's because we named our son Mordecai after the protagonist in the book. And Jewish children, when they heard the story of Esther and Mordecai and the evil enemy Haman, Whenever the kids would hear the name Haman, they would boo and hiss and stomp their feet, you know, just being opposed to this antagonist in this biblical story. The Jewish children knew God's word inside and out, but regardless of how much information they retained in their mind, there was still this issue of it transforming their heart. And so when Jesus quoted and referred to the book of Deuteronomy, And he said over and over again, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you, he's trying to correct not just false teaching. They had learned God's word. He was trying to correct false understanding and application of God's word, really misapplication of God's word. So let's see where Jesus goes tonight. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you. And do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So, Jesus starts out like he has been throughout his teaching. You've heard that it was said. And he makes this statement in verse 38 that comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 21. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In other words, if somebody punches you and gives you a black eye, you just turn around and wallop them right back in the face, right? Some of you are laughing because this is is how you grew up too, right? So I I have a brother that's two years younger than me. His name's Luke. And uh, I love my brother now. Um, And most of the time I did then. But this was the standard unwritten rule between the two of us in the household, right? Uh, Nobody had to teach us this. My parents didn't sit down with, uh, with stone tablets and engrave. If your brother punches you in the face, you can punch him back. But we just knew. There was something in our nature that knew if one of us was mean, the other one was going to be mean back. That's just how we grew up. We were best friends for five minutes. We fought for 18 minutes. We got in trouble for, I don't know, a long time. And then we would be best friends again for a few more minutes, and the cycle would repeat itself. It was just something in our nature. You, know, you punch me, I punch you. That's how it works. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If somebody hits you so hard, they knock a tooth out of your head, you wallop them right back and knock out a molar yourself. Jesus said, you've heard that this was said. And really, in the context, the original context in Deuteronomy, what the Lord is helping people understand is that there's a consequence for your actions. But what the Jewish people started doing with it is they started taking out personal vengeance, revenge, vendetta against people who had done them wrong you'd see this play out in all kinds of number of ways in fact it got to the point where Jewish people would take their friends even their neighbors even sometimes their family members to the judges at the city gates and say hey so and so did me wrong I need this this and this this was kind of their old-school version of filing lawsuits And in all of this, instead of God being glorified and allowing people to be punished for wrong actions, what these Jewish people began doing is going, I don't care if God righted, I know I've been wronged and I'm going to get even. This was the attitude and the mentality that they began to take upon themselves. Jesus knew that it was a bad attitude. Jesus knew that their actions were not bringing honor and glory to the Lord. And furthermore, Jesus also had this on his mind. You know, this law was not particular just to the Jewish people in ancient times. Do you know that? I mean, we have records of other nations, even the Babylonians, inscribing laws that were an eye for an eye, a a tooth for a tooth. In other words, people understand and know that there have to be consequences for wrong actions, But what Jesus does here is he takes it a step higher. He goes to a higher spiritual plane with this law. Jesus doesn't just say that you don't need to take out personal vengeance. He rather starts to teach in this area of forgiveness. In this area of submission. In this area of showing kindness despite the evil that is done to you or against you. Jesus goes on to say in verse 39, I I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now look, I I don't know about you, but I told you I grew up in a household where if Luke hit me, I I hit him back. It was just how he operated. I still think to this day, if Luke came up and slapped me on the face, I mean, just the involuntary action almost would be, it wouldn't be, Oh, hey, here you go. Take some on this side too. Right? Um, Jesus is teaching something that's just counterintuitive to our human nature. It goes against the grain of our heart. If somebody slaps you on your right cheek, you're supposed to turn the other to him also. I mean, it's kind of different from how young men are taught in the South growing up. You got to take up for yourself. You got to stand up for what's right you don't let somebody come in and show you up and beat you up you handle the situation like a man keep in mind jesus isn't talking here about defending somebody who's been attacked nor is he talking about doing something to stand up for what's right he's talking about an evil person who is so foolish and backward in their understanding that the only way they can express displeasure with you for speaking the truth is to slap you right in the face. And you know what Jesus says? Don't do it back. That's exactly what they want. We named uh, our our next son, after Mordecai, we named him Branch. And uh, we, we get it from a couple of places in Scripture. But we also uh, like this name because of a, a guy that was involved in the history of baseball named Branch Rickey. Some of you may not be familiar with this character, uh, but he, uh, he worked with the St. Louis Cardinals organization for a number of years, so he's a big hero in my book just because of that. But he developed the farm system, minor league baseball, um, and later on as he began to progress in his, uh, in his work, uh, some people were a little bit at odds with the way he operated. Um, and then later on they found out why he operated the way he did and why their organization was so successful. So after he left St. Louis, he went to go work in Brooklyn for an organization called the, the Brooklyn Dodgers. And uh, Branch Rickey uh, had grown up playing baseball. Um, in fact, played baseball in his college years at Ohio Wesleyan University. And while he was playing on the team, there was a young man of mixed race that was playing on, on their ball team. And uh, when, when it came time for them to play an, an out-of-town game, the other team refused to play them because this man was half black and half white. And he said he always felt there was something wrong about that, but he never stood up for that man who was slighted, for that man who was wrong. So years later, years go by, and I'm sure that this is still on his conscience, and he has this bright idea to ask a Negro baseball player to join the major leagues. And so he starts his hunt, he starts his search. If you've ever seen the movie 42, it kind of does a really good job of portraying uh, the, the search that takes place. And he finds this young man out in California, Graduated from UCLA, served in the military. Um, He believed that there was social injustice taking place in our country and discrimination and prejudice against uh, black people. And so uh, Branch Rickey also found that this man named Jackie Robinson was a, a Christian. And so Branch Rickey invited Jackie Robinson to come into his office there in Brooklyn and to talk him through what his contractual obligations would be to the Brooklyn Dodgers. And then Branch Rickey proceeded to tell him, that things were not going to be easy if he was going to become the first black player in Major League Baseball. In fact, Branch Rickey really put him through the ringer. He began to insult him, call him all kinds of vulgar names, and throw slurs at him. And at one point, Jackie Robinson stood up. And Branch Rickey knew that if Jackie wanted to slug him across the face for what he said, he could. And, and uh, Jackie Robinson asked him this question the movie depicts it, it's as accurate true historical conversation Jackie Robinson said Mr. Ricky, are you telling me that you want a guy that doesn't have the guts to fight back and Branch looked at him and said no son I'm telling you that I want a guy who has the guts not to fight back he said you you can't meet your enemy on your own low on their own low ground you've got to come up higher you've got to rise above the evil that's present in the world around you Jesus in this passage was not teaching men or people to be doormats that everybody could trample upon. He was teaching them to be the way that pointed to how others were supposed to live their lives. And it would have been difficult. I'm sure it was for Jackie Robinson in baseball. I'm sure it was even more so for Jesus Christ himself as he ministered to people. You not remember later on as Jesus is nearing the point of his crucifixion on the cross that he's blindfolded and the leaders that have put him on trial with evil in their hearts begin to spit on him and then they begin to slap him in the face saying, hey, prophesy for us, who just hit you? Making fun of him being the Christ with these powers to know what was going on around him. And Jesus knew the name of every person that slapped him in the face that night. Still, you know what he chose to do later on? He chose to cry out from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Look, I'm sure if Jesus wanted to punch those guys in the face, he could have slugged them so hard it knocked every one of their teeth out. They'd have been like people living in Arkansas, wouldn't they? But here's the thing. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus turned his cheek. In fact, Jesus goes on to to teach a little bit more. He says, if anybody wants to sue you and to take your shirt or your tunic, this is the, the garment worn next to the body. You, you give him your outer garment also. Give him your coat. Whoever forces you to, to go one mile, go with him two. See, the, the Jewish leaders had ways of suppressing the people when they had done something wrong. The Romans also had a way of uh, making people do what they wanted them to do. So Jesus says if, uh, if you had a Jewish brother and He's got a little more power and reputation than you in society, and he sues you for your shirt. Don't throw a fit about it. Give him your shirt and then hand him your cloak too as a gesture of kindness. it would probably have driven him nuts, wouldn't it? And then he, he seems to be talking about the idea of Roman soldiers putting people into a service in verse 41. If somebody forces you to go one mile, which by Roman law, a Roman soldier could say, hey, look, I need you to come with me. we got to walk this direction. You're now employed in, in my service. you gotta, you got to do this for the kingdom, for the empire in which you live. That person had to go with them a mile. But Jesus said, look, if they need you and they make you do that for one mile, go the extra mile, go two. Jesus didn't really play the game here when it came to Jewish religious leaders or political power or Roman physical power. Or political power. He said it it doesn't matter who it is. It it doesn't matter what they want. In other words. You be willing to do it. And then Jesus went on to say this. In verse 42. Give to him who asks of you. And do not turn away from him. Who wants to borrow from you. That would have been a challenge. I could imagine some people who probably weren't deserving of money that they had requested. In fact, I I think that Judas, the disciple who kept the money purse, the money bag for Jesus and his disciples in their ministry, probably got tired of seeing all of these undeserving people dip their hands in the money bag and pull out what they needed to go and do what they wanted. In fact, there's a a well-known pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma City, Craig Rochelle, who talks about how difficult it was as a church planter when he realized that the church ought to be giving to help people in the community and so instead of asking everybody in their church service one Sunday to contribute and put stuff in the offering plate only he said look we're going to pass the plates today and if you have a need a genuine legitimate need and you need God to provide for you go ahead and take out of the plate what you need if you want to give put it in the plate but if you need something pull it out of the plate. Of you just don't like that do you sometimes it just rubs me the wrong way too but this is what jesus is is talking about give to him who asks of you do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you you say jake man if, if we did that our church would be broke look this is how they did it in the new testament they were never broke and when they were poor when they felt like they didn't have as much as everybody else around them they continued forward with such faith and such power that every other secular institution around them just stood back and went, How in the world have they turned the world upside down? Jesus' higher law is a challenge for sure. It's like a mountain set before us, and we think, How in the world is it even possible to do? But really, Jesus isn't teaching that you've got to climb the ladder of success by making all of these great decisions to put yourself above everybody else. Rather, he's teaching this, that you've got to go down the ladder and lower yourself and subject yourself to other people in such a way that you are willing to love them and sacrifice for them for their good. In fact, this is what Jesus really did himself. Not just when he went to the cross, he did it there, but this is what he did in his entire earthly ministry. Stop and think for a moment. You, You remember these truths. Where was Jesus before he came to this earth? He was seated upon the throne in heaven. And when he came to this earth, he didn't get to sit on the throne in the palace at Jerusalem. He got to be placed in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. He didn't grow up with the emperor of Rome, having all of the best and the most wonderful in the world. He grew up in the home of a common carpenter and his wife. He might not have grown up having the biggest and the best, but yet he was willing to give up even what he did have to help those around him. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to his father's. And I love how Paul writes and describes this about Jesus over in Philippians chapter 2. You can listen to these verses. If you want to turn there, you can. But it's Philippians chapter 2. And most scholars think that this was probably a hymn that was actually sung amongst the early church. Ephesians, sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard a quality with God, a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't think he had to climb the ladder to get there. But instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is really the challenge from Jesus in this section on the higher law. Not to keep climbing the ladder and put yourself above other people. Not just get even when somebody does you wrong or be better than them because you want to prove your worth and value in the eyes of other human beings or even in your own eyes. But instead to lower yourself, to humble yourself, to take upon yourself the form of a servant and be willing to show people love and compassion through sacrifice. All the while, standing firm in the truth that there is one God and that you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and that that same God that you love loves the people around you that have been doing you wrong and that you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself, putting others' needs before your own wants. This is really the paradox of the Christian life, not climbing the ladder of success but lowering yourself in service to others. Whew, what a challenge, isn't it? Oh, man, what a challenge. You know, I shared with you an example earlier of, of my brother and I. I didn't really share you an example I share with you everyday life. We fought with each other all the time. And mom would come in and she would give us what I call now the first John lecture. You can't love God and be beaten up on each other all the time. She was right. But we beat up on each other all the time. But man, I, I still remember a few times growing up when we, we'd get into an argument with each other, playing wiffle ball out in the backyard, and it would escalate pretty quickly. I hit you before you touch the base. You're out. No, no I'm safe. My foot was on the bag when you hit me with the ball. And then the fist would start flying. And there would be screaming taking place. And then mom would open up that back door and stand on the deck and say, boys, get over here right now. And At that point, we were kind of glad to break up the fight because we already hurt each other a little bit. And so we'd come up to mom, and then mom would start talking to us and giving us the first John lecture. Well, what are you guys doing hitting each other? Do you not realize that you are brothers, that you're supposed to love each other and take care of each other? Yeah, 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 you know, we, we feel bad. And she'd send us to our rooms. So we go sit in our rooms. And then there were times I can remember Luke, my little punk of a brother, without mom telling him to, coaxing him to, bribing him to, making him. Coming and saying, Jake, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have hit you. Yeah. I'm sorry too. You know, Luke, to be honest with you. I was out. I just wanted to win the game. Okay. And we never did the whole big hug, love each other stuff. We never even said the word sometimes I forgive you that I make my own kids say when they are mean to each other. But in that moment right there, we got to see and experience something that we ought to always experience as Christ followers. When somebody's done something wrong to us, I forgive you. It hurts, I forgive you. Look, <laughs> I still had a black eye sometimes when Luke apologized to me, right? I forgave him. And it was in those moments when I forgave him that we truly did learn to love each other. And here's the thing we would fight even after those times. But at this point now, I don't think that Luke is going to come into my house when they come over for dinner Tuesday night and just walk up to me and slap me in the face. If he listens to this sermon, he might, just to be funny. but I don't think he's going to do that. You know why? Because he loves me and because I love him. And because regardless of the number of times that we got into fights growing up, we came to realize as men that the bigger man is not the one who can throw the hardest punch. The bigger man is the one who is willing to forgive and the one who is willing to love and to show kindness even if somebody else as christians jesus wasn't asking for people who didn't have the guts to fight and to stand for the truth he was asking people to fight the good fight of faith by having the guts not to fight back against this world in the same way that the world fights he was asking people to go above and beyond to reach a higher plane by lowering themselves lowering themselves in love for one another, forgiveness, and service. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the love that you've shown us when you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. God, we know that living according to this higher law that Christ taught about in Matthew 5 and that he demonstrated throughout his life, is a momentous challenge it's a task that we'll never meet in our own power but god we pray that by the strength of the holy spirit who lives inside of us as believers that we would choose not to punch somebody in the face when they hit us not to curse somebody back when they curse us but to forgive to love to show kindness Because that's what you've shown us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.